This week we're continuing on in our series called Jesus, a CV. We've been looking at all of the fantastic jobs that Jesus could do if he wanted to apply for a job. Um, And so really what we're doing is we're going through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthews 5 through 7. And um, just looking at some of the things he's talking about that gives us good advice in, in following his direction in certain areas of our lives. And so today we're looking at the job of the PR agent. And so we have this clip. It's just one of those phrases that uh, it has distractions as well as solutions, doesn't it? Except for you and me. That's not true. Now, in 1998, I did a cover story for GQ with the title The Youngest Congressman Ever. And since then, every story has tried to explain how I got here and so fast. And, and the words that people kept uh, reading was authentic. Uh, <coughs> but Here's the problem. It's the news of my tie. This tie was selected for me by a group of specialists in tennis line, New Jersey, who chose it over 56 other ties in the bracket. In fact, I gotta suggest that I have to stick to either a tie that is red or a tie that is blue. A yellow tie made it look as if I was taking my situation lightly. Silver tie meant that I'd forgotten my roots. My shoes, my shiny shoes, be associated with uh, high-priced lawyers and bankers. If you want to get a working man's vote, you need to stuff up your shoes a little bit. But you can't stuff them up so much that you alienate the lawyers and the bankers because you need them to pay for the specialists back in tennis lodge. <laughs> so what is the proper stuffing amount? You know, we actually paid a consultant seventy-three hundred dollars. $7,300 for a consultant to tell us that this is the perfect amount of stuff. Have <laughs> you ever seen a politician be that open and honest? No, yeah, neither have I. <clears throat> so the whole thing around PR um, advisors, agents, is, is trying to make someone look good, right? This is why it's often in politics, because politicians, in order to get elected, people need to think they're good people, and so in order for people to think that they're good people, they have to have these people sort of raising their profile, you know, showing all of their good attributes, and um, sort of presenting them in a positive light so that we will think nice things about them, and when it comes time to vote for them, we will tick yes. Um, If we didn't know anything nice about them, we might take no, so um, that's, that's what the job of the PR agent is for. 
And we, we kind of may think that's a bit of an obscure type of a role, but it's actually everywhere. I mean, it is everywhere. The job of making people look good, especially ourselves, is just all over the place. In fact, it is headlined by a multi-billion dollar international corporation known as Facebook. The ultimate in PR, where we can present ourselves exactly how we want to be presented. We can show ourselves to be something good. Do you know a little historical factoid that's going to come into play this morning? I learned this week what the meaning, the, the, the origin of the word hypocrite is. I don't know if you're familiar with the origin of the word hypocrite. Uh, we we uh, recognize hypo- hypocrite as someone who says one thing and then does another, right? Um, in uh, its original meaning uh, was a term used for Greek actors in ancient Greece who would wear a mask in front of their face. You, mean, you know those, those, those masks with the smiley face and then the show face and the smiley face? You know, they would wear these masks as they acted out their play. They would put forward a persona. This is, this is like acting 101. This is what all actors do, right? They put on a persona, a sort of an idea, a role, a character, and then they present that to the audience. <clears throat> now, we know in movies and in plays and stuff like that that they're not real. They're not a real representation of that person. But that's what they do. That's their job. They just act it out. And that's where the word hypocrite comes from. This idea of putting forward a persona that may or may not reflect what's actually going on inside. And I say may or may not because it doesn't automatically mean that you're lying about yourself. Many actors would say, this is a true representation of who I am. This is a great role. I didn't have to act at all. But they're still putting forward a persona. They're putting forward an image of themselves. So that, I just want you to kind of hold that definition of hypocrite because it's such a, a really interesting picture of what PR is really all about. Public relations. Making yourself good. Making yourself look good and putting on an image of yourself. With the, ul- the ultimate result, of course, is that people will like you. That's what we want. We want people to like us, people to give us praise, people to give us accolades and, and all of that fun stuff of being appreciated by people. So that is the way that PR advisors go about their jobs. But what does Jesus suggest? So let's get in. We're going to read um, a good chunk of Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 18. So <clears throat> hold on, we're going to go through it and then we'll have a quick talk about it. So he says in verse 1, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired, excuse me, to be admired by others. For you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do. This would be the definition Jesus would have understood that, the one that he would have used it as. Don't put a persona out there blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all of the reward they will ever get. I want to pause there for a second because I, I mentioned that definition of hypocrisy because we often read that word hypocrite and we say, well, that means that they were giving for other people's attention, but they didn't care about the poor. There is a strong possibility that they did care about the poor. 
they were doing the right thing. They wanted to do the right thing, but they were also trying to get the attention of others. They were trying to do both, right? So we don't necessarily want to say that they hated poor people. The word hypocrisy would simply mean they're just putting on a front. They're putting on a persona of themselves as showing the world how wonderful they are, all right? And that's enough for God. They're not going to get any, re- any reward from Him. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to the Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think that their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. There's a couple of examples in the Bible when Paul's in Ephesus. And there's this big riot and they start saying, Great is Ephesus of the Ephesians. Great is Ephesus of... No, Artemis, thank you. Out of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. For like two hours straight because that's just how they prayed. Or when um, Elijah... Sorry, yes? I feel like I have to pick up my prayers for this. <laughs> yeah, I was going to talk to you about that. I'm just kidding. But you weren't saying the same things over and over again. This is like this chanting, babbling on, you know, if I say something enough times, this will magically make it happen. And that was the way pagan religions worked. And we see this when Elijah was having this face-off against the prophets of Baal, and they both had to set up an altar and see who God answered. And the prophets of Baal just prayed from like morning till night constantly saying the same things, cutting themselves, dancing, doing their little rain dance and hoo-ha, whatever. They were doing it again and again and again and again because they thought the more that I do it, the more I commit to this, the more results will happen. Elijah, of course, just said, hey God, can you do this? And he did, so that was cool. So when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. It's a prayer like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And then Jesus adds this sort of side note here. He says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. He mentions that a few times. And then he says, when you fast, or when you withhold food for worship of God, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. This is kind of like an ancient version, version of man flu, right? Like, boys, you know what we're like when we get sick. And we're like, I'm so sick. And I just need people to know how sick I am. And if I'm in a room by myself, I'm like, yeah, this is bad. And then when someone comes in, oh, I'm so sick. Maybe it's just me. Okay, so when you fast, Jesus says, comb your hair and wash your face. Always good advice. Then no one will notice that you're fasting except your father, who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. 
Okay, so that's a nice big long passage for us. But you can see the pattern that's, that's sort of coming out there, isn't it? If you do something and you do it for publicity, you're doing it for people to notice, God's not going to reward that kind of behavior. He's not interested. Do it privately. And if you do it privately, God sees that. And he will reward that kind of behavior. So Jesus uses a few different examples. uh, Giving to the poor, prayer, and fasting. Now those were traditionally the three main activities that Jews did as acts of worship. In a sense, you could see it that this is what Jews did to be good Jews. You know, they had a lot of laws that we talked about last week that they followed, but when they were trying to express their faith, they expressed it in giving, what they call giving alms, giving to the poor, praying to God, and fasting. So when we read this, we can read this as applying to really anything that we do as Christians to be good Christians, like giving to charity, or coming to church on a Sunday morning, singing worship, praying publicly, even sharing our faith or going to small group, things like that, reading our Bibles. All of these things we do as Christians, this applies to all of them. So when I go to small group then and I share something, am I trying to enrich the conversation for everybody in the room? Or am I just trying to show people how smart I am? When I'm worshiping and I, and, I, and I start to put my hands up or I move around or, or I'm, I'm sort of showing this intensity, am I doing that because that is what is expressing out of my heart towards God and I'm in that space with Him and I'm just connecting with Him? Or am I more trying to make it look like I am really into it for people around me? When I pray publicly, is my prayer coming from my heart to God's heart in the presence of people, praying with my, my fellow Christians, but is my, is my prayer going from me to God, or am I really just praying for everybody else to hear me pray so that they'll be impressed with my prayer? I give you those three examples because I have been guilty of all three of those examples. I've been particularly convicted this week of the last one about prayer thinking back to the way that I pray, especially at the end of my message. Sometimes I'm praying genuinely, but to be honest with you, sometimes I feel like I'm just summing up my message or I'm trying to add a little bit extra that didn't quite fit into the manuscript or I'm trying to kind of, I don't know, express to you what I'm trying to say as opposed to talking to God. I apologize for that. That's not the way I want to be doing that. And I know I'm not the only one who does. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not thinking specifically of anyone in particular, but I know we do this. We act this way. We do things that we may look like we're doing it for God, but really we're doing it for recognition. So here's a question I want to ask you, and I want to kind of see if we want to have a little bit of discussion, a little bit of back and forth here on this. Why do you think that we do this? Why is it that when we pray publicly or when we're speaking publicly or You know, as Christians, why do we often try and get the attention of other people in doing that? Does anyone have any thoughts why that might be the case? Prayer is powerful? powerful? What do you mean by that? Well, for example, when um, when I 
Which is amazing. Yeah, and that's incredible. That's why we would pray to God, yes. But we often, when we're praying to God, we're actually praying. Do you know what I mean by that? When we're kind of praying to make other people think we're smart or saying something in a small group to make people think we're smart. Why do you think we do that? Why do you think we try and get and, and these examples that Jesus used of the hypocrites? Sorry? Acceptance? Yeah. We're often trying to gain acceptance. That's a really interesting point. That can actually come from, a, from quite a dark place, can't it? When we don't feel accepted. I know that's a, a big root cause for me. I went through a very dark period growing up of just not being accepted, rejected by a lot of people, feeling very low about myself that sort of set in motion a, a sense of self-worth that carries on to today. So I often find myself doing things, cracking jokes or doing this, that, or the other thing so that people will like me and I will feel accepted in the conversation. Yeah, that's a really good one. Why else? Yeah? Yeah, wanting to feel good about yourself. Yeah, when people say, man, that was cool. That feels good, right? That feels good. I, I, I'm, I'm going to, again, I'll be honest with you. When people say, I did a good job preaching, it feels good. And sometimes does that spill out into the way that I actually preach? So I want you to say that. <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes, if I'm being honest. Yeah. I think the PR advisors at these things like what those guys are, but I think that they want us to put on this is a Facebook there's this pressure to put on mm -hmm. this face. But even when I hear you just now say, I struggle with the self confidence thing that you said and stuff like that. That kind of thing and that authenticity comes easy to you. Mm. Yes, it is. I, I, I feel very close to you right now. <laughs> no, but you're right. So that authenticity is actually appealing to people, but it's a risky game. It's a very risky game. And so sometimes if we're trying to make ourselves feel good, if we're trying to get a widespread result, it's hard to be truly authentic. You know, I mean, even in his authenticity, he said some things and didn't say others, you know. If you watch the movie, it didn't say he was making out with a, a girl in the guy's bathroom like 10 minutes previous to that speech, you know. So, like, we, we kind of present ourselves and all that. You have to see the movie to understand that comment. But um, <laughs> that wasn't in the clip, I promise. Yeah, so, yeah, but that authenticity is actually appealing. And I think today, more so than in times past, that has been what people actually want. They want authenticity. So that goes in our favor. But before, in times past, that has backfired on people. They've been uh, honest. They're like, thank you for your honesty. We're not voting for you. <laughs> sort of thing, yeah. I think it can be addicting when people give you praise. When you do something good, makes you feel good, makes you feel accepted, and um, kind of puffs you up your ego a little bit. So whatever the reason, 
Whatever the reason that we end up doing some of these things, some of them are legitimate reasons, some of them maybe a little bit more egotistical. Either way, it pushes us to a place, doesn't it? Where we start acting and speaking and doing things for the wrong motives. And Jesus is kind of calling us out on this. The key point, I think of this, and it all comes back down to this whole idea of a PR advisor. The first question a PR advisor would ask you when you sit down in his or her office is this. This is the key question. Who are you trying to impress? Who are you trying to impress? That's what they need to know. They need to know that to do their job so that they can put the right sort of persona forward. They can give you the right strategies to impress those people. But you know what? Jesus is asking the same question. Who are you trying to impress? When you pray, when you do the Christian things, even when you share your faith, even when you worship, who are you trying to impress at this time? It's an open, honest, genuine question that he wants to ask. And what he is telling us is if you are trying to impress God or you are trying to impress people, you will be rewarded either way. And he says this. You try to impress people, there's a good chance you will. And they will give you praise. They will give you accolades. They will say you're wonderful. You try to impress God, He will reward your actions. But here's the problem. You can't do both. And this is a theme that comes right through Jesus' teaching, right through the Bible. He is adamant about this. You can't do both. You can't try and curry favor with people and try and curry favor with God at the same time. It doesn't work. Here, I think, is the reason why. Especially when it comes to things like worship and prayer and fasting, that these examples, other activities like that, is they are designed to seek out God. That's what they're for. That's what the purpose of them is. We're praying to God. We are worshiping God. We are fasting to remember God. We are reading our Bibles to understand God. So if we're doing those things for any reason other than trying to impress God, we've missed the mark. And He doesn't want it. He's not going to stand for it. You can have your praise from men. You can have that. But I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm washing my hands of that. It's no good to me. So what Jesus is saying, if you remove them from the equation and you try to just impress me, I will come to you and I'll reward you for that. That is true faith. James says something very, very similar, but uh, far more bluntly. James is good like that. He says in James 4, 4, you adulterers. <laughs> He's a tactful man. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. You can't sit in both camps. And the whole point of PR, the whole point of this, this concept in the world is to garner the attention of each other. That's the way the world works. But God works differently. So we have to choose. So the question sits again. Who are you trying to impress? Who are we 
trying to impress? Who am I trying to impress when I sit up here and I teach you? When I pray? When I do all sorts of different things as a Christian, who am I trying to impress? I wish I could say it's God and God always. But I've already said, you know, if the same is true of you, we mess up. Sometimes we're trying to impress each other. It's a hard habit to break because it comes from what's happening in here. It's happening in our heart. And that's the theme of, of the whole Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? It's what we talked about last week. Faith is not a head-driven behaviors and actions type faith. It is that, but driven from a heart, from a motivation towards God. And our heart is not always so good, is it? But that's where the good news is. Because while our hearts are often in the wrong place, it is our hearts that God came to change and to restore. Have a listen to this prediction uh, from Ezekiel. This is even before Jesus turned up. God shows, promises this. He says, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, and I will give you a tender, responsive heart. See, when we become Christians, the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and changes it, cleans it, refreshes it. Of course, that's a long process. It doesn't always happen. So I don't want you to think that if I've ever done anything for the appearance of others, for the wrong motives, that that's it, I'm done. That's not how that works. We are under grace. We are saved. We always have that grace. But God is challenging us. Jesus is challenging us to consistently ask ourselves the question, who are we trying to impress? And that's where it gets real practical. That's where I kind of just want to finish up today. Because in a practical sense, we have to ask, how do we move forward with this? How do we live out our faith? I mean, you've got to ask the question, is it simply easier not to do anything publicly? Right? I mean, Jesus says, don't give publicly. Don't make a big deal out of it. Do it in private. Don't let the left hand, left hand know what the right hand is doing. I don't even know which is which. So that's easy. But don't let anyone know. And yet... A little later on in the story, in the book of Acts, the early church, we see people selling their possessions and laying it at the feet of the apostles. That's pretty public. You know, we see Paul, one of the, the guys who planted churches around, he went around to different churches collecting offerings for the poor in Jerusalem. That's pretty public. He talked a lot about it. It's in the Bible, you know? So what, what does this mean? Do I, do I give privately or publicly? Does it, does it mean that I can't put my name on my offerings to get that tax benefit at the end of the year? If I get a giving number, is that evil? Jesus says, go and pray in your bedroom behind closed doors. Don't pray in public. And yet, we see lots of examples in the early church of people pl- praying together. We just did it. <laughs> it's, it's a richness in praying together. So is that bad? Is that good? Maybe when I go to small group, I should keep my mouth shut. And people in my small group are like, yes, please. <laughs> but then it also says in the Bible that we should teach each other and help each other and share with each other and build each other up. So which is it? Do 
Do I live my life privately or do I live my faith publicly? Yes. Yes. It is, of course, both. You see, a faith that is only public is empty. That's why we've come across these Pharisees and these religious leaders and Jesus is having a go at them because they'll do all of these things in public, but when they go home, they're not interested. There's a whole host of people who wear Christian name badges in this country and in this world, but when they go home, it doesn't, their, their private life has no representation of Jesus in it. They're not living their life privately. So if they're praying, they're praying publicly but not privately. That's not okay. We want both. If you're only praying in publicly, uh, privately and you only have your faith privately, then how do, we, how do we build each other up as a community? We need both. But here's it, here it is. It comes down again to this question. It's an attitude. It's a motivation. It's what's going on in the heart. The question is this. Who are we trying to impress? Whose reward are we really looking for? That's what we need to think about. That's what Jesus was getting at. That's our PR advice. Yes. Ah, yes. Thank you for bringing that up. I did actually have this mentioned, but I didn't get to it. So this, the, this idea, we will be known by our fruit, which is kind of connected to another idea that Jesus had just finished saying, where you are the light of the world, right? We're public. You know, we, we, we're supposed to be visual, don't hide it, under a bowl. So hang on a second, what do we mean here? Because this is the way that God shows the world who, we, who He is, is through our lives. So we are public, and we do things in public. But again, the question remains, what's happening in here? What is our motivation? What are we trying to achieve? Who are we trying to impress? Because sometimes the action may be completely the same. My public prayer that I pray for the wrong motivation might sound exactly the same as my public prayer that I'm trying to glorify God in the presence of other people, right? It'll be the same words, same tone. You won't know the difference. But God does. He knows. He knows. So if we keep our hearts in tune with Him as much as we can, we try to have our attitude, Lord, I want to glorify you and you have perhaps called me to speak to others. You have called me to live my life in such a way that people see it, but it's not for their praise, it's for yours. Because, you know, the interesting point where Jesus talked about you are the light of the hill, let your good deeds shine before men, right? He says, so what? So they will praise God, right? That's what we're looking to do. The win for us is that we live our lives as worship to God. People see that and then they praise God. But that is a spirit action. Does that make sense? So that means that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He is taking our actions and convicting people and sending their praise full upwards. When we start to take control of that and we start to think, well, maybe I should pray it this way or maybe I should you know, tweak it here or I, I can try and kind of manipulate their reaction I'll make myself look a little better so that they'll praise God. It starts getting a bit dangerous, doesn't it? Because we start actually looking for that feedback for ourselves and doing what God should be doing.
But anyway, we can talk, if you want to have a chat with me about specifics or chat with Nate or any one of us um, about maybe how that specifically plays out in your life, that would be a really good thing. If you're in a small group, that's a good discussion to have as well. But I think for us this morning as we wrap it up, um, the question remains, who are we trying to impress? And of course, the Christian answer, we're trying to impress God. We should be, right? That's, that's what we're trying to do.